G'day listeners, this episode is proudly brought to you by our major sponsor, subshq.com.au. Use code BENS15 at checkout to receive 15% off on your next purchase. G'day listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Matter Mentality Podcast where we talk all things training, nutrition, psychology and science to help you perform at your best. We are joined by another very special guest and a... a online friend, if you will, that we've had several conversations and discussed things of very similar philosophical premises and beliefs, but I'm joined by Eric's Electrons. How are you, my friend? Very good. And thank you for having me. Man, I, I appreciate it. It's, um, it's, it's something I've found uh, enjoyable about social media, if you will, that, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have had the 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 balls if you will to even converse with people that say like your level of education or you know or like people outside of my immediate sphere because i just didn't know them wouldn't have access to them and now with things like social media when we use it properly we can actually like you know we we don't even have the same interests of fields but we have the same interests of philosophy or even potential politics where we can just have unique conversations at the other end of the world and be able to like resonate and connect with people that you know otherwise you might not be able to interact with and I'm like that. That to me is uh, probably one of the the benefits of social media that I'm actually enjoying. Yeah, yeah, same here. I, I had it took a while to get there, you know, for me. But um, yeah, I feel the same way because we would never connect in any other way. I don't think, you know. Yeah, like you think about like I don't know, like 40 years ago, 30 years ago, you had to have known the person or known who they were to reach out to and hope that their assistant or secretary or, you know, just generally them receive the telegram, the information, the phone call to then return that back to you to tee up a time to be like, Hey, let's talk on the phone at the same time versus like through telegram or email or, or letter. And now it's just like, man, I've been following you for this long and you guys talk about this and I've got the same philosophy on this. Like, fuck these people. Let's chat. And it's like, yeah, sweet. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. okay, it makes it makes it interesting. No, definitely, definitely. Uh, like, I don't know, it, it's good to me. It's just it's just sort of like it just makes the world a bit smaller. Like you just you just with how big everything can be, it just makes it a little bit a little bit easier to to interact. But mate, reasons for for the 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 invite, if you will, and the the, the premise of the discussion was well, going to be deep and across many different things, no doubt. I mean, we share very similar views on things like Marvel, so that's going to be a <laughs> that that'd take up a four-hour podcast if we wanted to. Give us a bit of background <laughs> on yourself because we're going to expand into where you got to where you are, the way you do things, your level of education, what you're studying. But just give us a, a background to you and kind of a bit more about you. Yeah, so um, my name is Eric. I go to Georgia State University. My background is in physics. Um, uh, I'm a third year and uh, um, you know, I aspire to get into a PhD program because I, I just really love theoretical physics and I'm more of a math guy. So, um, but my in Georgia State, what you mainly learn, I mean, well, the, the main program there is astrophysics. So that's where uh, the majority of my work is is in astrophysics of um, you know helping out, out with uh, research around accretion disks and black holes and some other things. And yeah, that's that's pretty much um, all I've been doing when it comes to research. And then outside of that, I do social media. Um, I I help grow accounts sometimes, but uh, mostly with my accounts, 
Uh, I focus on critical thinking. I focus on philosophy, sometimes physics. Uh, but I, I like to talk about a whole bunch of things and mix in humor with it mm -hmm. because I, I just think it's very important to let people know that you're a human, you know, and yeah. there's so many different sides of you as being a human and it, just posting your thing, your, your profession, it, it's cool because there, there are people who are interested, but showing that you're human is a big part of um, growing a platform and, and making connections like we've made a connection, you know? Yeah. So, um, and, and that's basic. It's a very basic um, background on what I do. Just, just, just touching on that, like I, I, it's it's a little bit different here, but it's kind of take it's kind of heading in a very similar direction. But I find with you guys in the states, it's very polarizing or encampment based, if you will, in terms of like, you know, let's say I have a bit more of a right wing opinion on something, but I can also be quite left wing over here. It it often gets perceived as like you have to be one or the other, and if you're you know if you're not this, then you're that, or if you're that, then you're this, and it, I find it quite intriguing if you will to see from the outside of the country or just just outside of your culture in that that's how it kind of comes across like i don't know if that's how it actually is when you're in it and you're there but like you know you can you could have an opinion about trump on this but you could agree with an independent here or you could agree with a, a um a sanders over here but the second you say trump you're a right wing f this and alt right that but if I talk about, you know, some socialism programs that might be beneficial to healthcare, oh, you're a commie left-wing whatever. Is it actually that intense when you're in amongst like political critical discussion? It really depends on where you're at. The, that's the thing that I've understood. Like if you're on college campus, for instance, and you might be, um, I don't know, at some type of student meeting or talking amongst people, you 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 will get a little bit of that you know because people on college campuses here tend to be left wing but they, yeah. they're they're not just a little left wing they're a little far left sometimes or at least they're far left apologetic yeah. so you know any mention of trump is like you mentioning Voldemort and in, in the world of harry <laughs> potter you know and it's like oh my gosh like how dare you even mention that person don't say that name around here you know they'll even say that sometimes um, but if, if you're just outside and you're like working like a regular job and there's discussions, most people in my experiences, at least it's been pretty like reasonable that they're okay. Like they might say, oh, the Trump guy is crazy, but you know, I do agree here or I do yep. agree there. And it's, it's more casual. Um, it, it, so it's not as much like what you see online because i bet online like you know you see all types of like crazy stuff from uh the coming out of america in terms of like how they think and, and things and those are usually the highlights and and you know the the good and the bad are highlighted but i would say in most ways you can have those discussions but you know, it, it just all depends on where you're at because I do have friends where I know not to bring up stuff like that because they're yeah. just way too hypersensitive. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and I know that it wouldn't go too well. Um, and then there are jobs where, you know, it wouldn't go well, like discussing your politics either, but it's not nearly as bad as it looks online, but you know, it, it just really depends on where you're at. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. I suppose like, yeah from our aspect looking in you kind of if i'm already following 
political intrigue or, or like college, I guess, topics, the likelihood of finding people on social media in those realms are already that way biased, I guess, probably increases. So it makes it a bit more amplified to to what I'm seeing. So it kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, I just find it, I just find it interesting how how polarizing it can get. Even if, like even if you are at a campus level, which I find the most interesting thing um, is that campuses or university are supposed to, as you uh, sort of elaborated to previously, you're supposed to be teaching critical thinking, but it's it's not in a sense that you, know, you, you can literally be so polarized and just fully absorbed into one side of the spectrum that therefore everything else is wrong if it's not in complete alignment with what you say. But as we know in any form of research or science or critical thinking in general, that's just not how life works. It's not dichotomous in any sense. It's not mutual exclusion at every level. There is you know, overlap, intricacies, interactions, nuances. I can think this, but also think this. I can centerize here, but, you know, it just ends up with these, I guess, like you said, it might be more dominant on campuses, but these polarizing exclusion dichotomies that, no, this is how you think. And if you're not thinking like me, you're wrong, but that's not critical thinking. Yeah, and I actually have a story that's that's really interesting about that. Uh, I, in my undergrad, very first year, um, I remember taking a, a critical thinking class, I, I believe it was, and it was philosophy or it was like philosophy 101 or something. And I, I remember the very, it was like the first or the second day, the the professor went on like this rant about like Trump, like, you know, Trump bad, like type of rant. And he just wouldn't stop. Like he, he would, he would rant, like he would talk about certain things, of course, and in the course, but then he would just randomly stop and then just rant about Trump or rant about like whatever he disliked. And it was so weird because it was obvious that he was like emotional about these things and he couldn't even like properly argue uh, these things. And he had a clear political blind spot. Um, but yeah, I mean, they are supposed to be teaching critical thinking. I mean, and, and, and ideas are supposed to be entertained in university. That, that's the whole point of, of a university system. You're supposed to be able to explore these ideas and, and really have the best thinkers like try to solve them to, to the greatest degree. And, and, and greater questions are supposed to arise from those ideas, but that's just not happening a lot of times. Even, even at, you know, at our level over here, we, we find that one of the biggest limitations is so uh, the way a lot of our, um, the foundation, I guess, of a lot of psychological thought happens on campus because they use first, second and third year students to conduct and participate in research. So they'll have like a, a thesis student or they'll have like a postgraduate student or they'll have uh, even like a third year um, finishing off there. So we have to do what's called uh, uh, Statistics 360, which is basically like your your advanced statistical thinking analysis to get into your postgraduate um, doctorate. And in that subject, you'll run your own, your own study and design and, and conduct all these things, that sort of stuff. So they use that as a premise to a lot of foundational psychological concept. The issue is that from this, they're only the available cohort is who's on campus in those subjects interested in studying those things. So you get this very heavy confirmation bias, but then you start getting people discuss like social sciences as if it's an all or nothing fact. Like they'll take a campus level social science concept and try to apply it to the general ability of the entire population of the world and be like, yeah, but this is what we're seeing. And I get in these 
in-depth arguments. Like I got to remove myself from some of the Facebook groups of like the campus because they're just so fixated on like, no, this is a hundred percent correct. I'm like, it can't be a hundred percent correct because you're confirming your bias by only picking people who want to do this subject and do these thinking, like do these research pieces or participate, which is giving you a participant bias. So in the sense you're trying to think critically and apply this, you know, new phenomenon that you've discovered, you're already applying a list of fallacies and biases that would make this redundant, but it's like, it gets through because the, the, the professors are almost in, in it as well. Like I, I've had so many discussions or debates around things like uh, social sciences, social psychology, the way they fuse certain subjects together. And like, you know, it's like a mixture of like gender and critical race theory and this like theory. And you end up with like these forced opinions and then like, yeah, but see, we're showing these results. This is what we're finding in the literature. And I'm like, you're finding it because you want to. And then you're making me have to answer it. That's that's not critical thinking. And I shouldn't be a first year having to tell you that, let alone be a third year having to tell you that. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the that's the part that frustrates me. It's like they should know better, you know, and, and you're, you're looking at them and there's a part of you, of course, it's like, oh, maybe I could be wrong because they have these credentials and everything and they know something that I don't know. But, you know, through regular critical thinking that, you know, you, um, credentialed ignorance is still ignorance, you know, and 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 you, you they should know better. And, and that's the reason why I'm probably really I'm I'm probably most critical of of the social sciences and stuff because I think it's so important. You know, yeah. I do think that the social sciences are super duper important. But what you just talked about is stuff I see here, and and if they don't fix that, one people outside of the field they're not going to appreciate it. They're not going to listen yeah. to what comes out of it. And then two, um, a lot of the policy decisions that that are behind these social science ideas um they could lead to more harm than good so those are two big reasons why I, i'm very critical often of social science and the fields around that um but but it's a super important and it's really sad that uh the, the people highest up are not too critical with their um own selves you know and that they don't yeah. reflect on the their biases and it's, it's yeah it's just it's just a really bad time i think for that yeah and like the the frustrating part to me is that the social science and social psychology especially as a field has done some profound work in the past to just understanding human behavior as a as a like a more population level phenomenon like when we go through things like confirmation and we go through things like bias, we go through things like um, uh, conformity. You start to see things like the Asher experiment, the Stanford prison experiment. You start to see like uh, looking at the prison guard experiments. You start to look at uh, the post-World War II experiments on like on prison encampments, all these things. And we can even see it, it crosses over into things like um, uh, sport performers. One of the first ever social science, uh, social psychological tests was actually done on a group of bike riders because they were they were finding that black riders in a group were riding faster than at an individual level, though none of them had changed in sort of like fitness levels, max VO2, um, training styles. It was just <clears throat> this this idea of what came to be um, like a competitive theory in that riding as the group, everyone wanted to keep up at the same pace. But if you're riding by yourself, you don't have a pacer. And so you, you see like social science, social psychology has this, this interesting aspect to it, but it's starting to get weakened as a science because it's being washed out with so much crap, if you will. 
And that's the part that really starts to frustrate me. Because I got into the subject, I'm like, man, we're going to learn about conformity, the Asher experiment. We're going to go through the like Stanford prison experiment. We're going to see all this stuff. And it was like maybe a third of that. And I was like, that's not, that's not what I signed up for. <laughs> yeah, that, that must have been really uh, disheartening. But like, let's go back a bit because I think listeners, are, are, like the, a lot of listeners and clients and stuff are also quite educated in their realms of study and, and in Australia. We have a very different system, I feel, to you guys. I want to a bit more like what led you to, I sort of asked you this off camera, what led you to your selection of university? What what was that process like? Because you know, we see on TV over here, um, you know, XYZ athlete has chosen this campus and it becomes this massive deal or like, you know, who are you going to? And we're going to Georgia Tech and we're going to, you know, MU and we're going over here to whatever else, Yale, all that sort of jazz. Like the you're almost defined by the campus you pick and kind of, you know, your identity starts to become fused with where you go. So what led you to saying like, this is where I'm going? Well, I would say that decision started in high school. Um, I've always been into self-study and science and, you know, just learning myself. I was always a bookworm, but I was a horrible student horrible student i'm talking about the type that would never do homework uh wait last minute to do a project if i did it at all um and looking back i think a lot of times it was because i was bored mm -hmm. uh, i was bored with how the teaching style I was bored with mm -hmm. other things and and i just didn't work hard enough to do certain things and and because of that it led to bad grades and if you have bad grades here then the types of schools you get into your your access kind of you know it's denied when it comes to um like the the big big schools uh, and and at the time i wanted to go to school but also be a student athlete and do basketball because i was really good at basketball at one mm -hmm. point and um i had some colleges look at me for that but um i had injured myself uh it wasn't like a huge injury i just fractured my knee uh playing basketball but that that led me outside of basketball to do other things and then i saw how political basketball could be and i didn't want to get into that so my decision to go to the college that i eventually chose was just basically due to like what was available mm -hmm. i didn't have that many options available i think four i got accepted to four out of the 15 colleges I um, applied for, mm -hmm. or maybe three, um, actually. So it was, a, it was a thing of, okay, so you, you want to go to this college or not? And um, I did. I moved all the way across the country because I'm from California originally. Yeah, wow. And yeah, yeah. I moved all the way across the country to Georgia. And uh, my family followed me like soon after that. So, you know, I had a little bit of a safety net, but I, I chose to, I, I did like half a year of college and then I chose to uh, not do college anymore. Like, I I don't know what it was at the time, but I just fell out of love with like the whole thing. And I, I dropped out, I worked and I worked all the way until I was about 25 or something. And then I got back into college and that's you know my current stand in college is, is from that so yeah my, my my decision was just based on what was available 
um, uh, I actually, I barely got into college um, once I, when I decided to go back in because I, I wasn't practicing my math at all. And my math scores were so low that I barely met the standards to, to get into that college. Um, so I had to take like the learner, like the really low level math. And then that motivated me to um, uh, study like myself and learn, you know, calculus. Cause I, I went to a really horrible high school too, by the way, I forgot to mention that I, I, the academically, it was like one of the worst high schools in my region. Um, and uh, you know, so I, I didn't learn calculus there. I didn't learn like any of that higher law. I think the most I learned was like algebra. And it was, yeah, wow. I had a very basic understanding on that. So um, I didn't know statistics when you, when you really why I had to learn like LA, LA, California, or a bit outside of there, or? Uh, the Bay Area. So that's Northern California. Um, it's Oakland, oh, yeah, San yeah. Francisco, like yeah. around there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's the area that I grew up in. And, you know, it wasn't a really good area. It just, uh, there, there was just a lot of, stuff uh with that um so yeah my my skills were really low and I, I had to learn from the ground up that because i was always good in the other i was always good in reading and writing like my mm -hmm. score actually for reading and writing was really really high both in high school and like the placement test for college but my math scores were not high in high school or you know in the beginning of college but i, I did eventually teach myself um all the the math i needed for physics because i really wanted to do physics and yeah that's how i got to where i'm at now it's such a such a um we have a very similar very similar almost like a career path but like entry like for me i i didn't get into i didn't apply to uni until like for me my parents thing was always like get yourself a trade i want to get a professional with football and try and get a contract with the nrl like play rugby league over here and then the trade was kind of like secondary to that. So I was like, get yourself a safe trade, learn carpentry or electrical or something like that. And then I had a car accident, injury got in the way, none of that ended up working out. And then I was like, right, well, what's the things I love? Coaching people, training, bodybuilding, going to university. Like I want to study psychology, understand human behavior, human performance. And so I was, I didn't get to I'd go to uni until I was like 20, 27, I didn't start. So that to me was like, I, I would have been, I think I would have been on the same premise as you, like, like listening to that. I, know for a fact if i had tried to go to campus at 19 20 18 i would have failed without question i would have failed i did not understand me enough same i was at the same level like you where i was mostly at school to play sport and try and make a schoolboy level of sport try and go on from there and do something with it that to me was like the the, the foundation of what i was doing and then after that it was like okay so what's next and if i had have got with my attitude at the time to go to to go to a campus I just did not understand enough about myself mentally, philosophically, psychologically, how I learn, how I study. Like I was, you know, teachers boarded on telling me like, I'm just going to fail you because I don't like the way you approach learning. But learning to me was quite unique on the subjects that I was interested in, super focused. Like I think in my modern history class or my, my, my uh, social sciences class, my history class, I set like one of the highest grades for the subject. They, they run for like four years. And I was like, so how can I go from that but then I go to other subjects and I'm getting like C's and D's and basically being told I'm going to fail. But that was to me, like I had to figure that out. Very similar process to yourself, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. And then it's the same with me. It, it was, 
like the the subjects I really really loved, I did great. But the subjects that I mean, and the crazy part is I love math. Like when I was in um elementary school, for instance, I was in like the higher level math classes and and all that. Um, but something happened between elementary school and middle school, which is over here between the ages of a uh, six and 13 i believe um and something happened through that where i kind of like got lazy with it and mm -hmm. didn't really um practice it nearly enough and my my skill level in high school just definitely plummeted and um yeah i had to, I had to start from the ground up and then college once i joined so and i guess like if you're if you're willing to expand on it further because like you know i'm gonna speak out of my ass just based on purely what i know of american culture and american history and things like that your background your your culture you as a person your race there is a lot of reasons if we were to go by the data or people's opinions or statistics that you shouldn't be in uni exceeding at your field of study do you, did you find like you know coming up that you ever had that sort of mentality or was it always just like i just have to work at the stuff i want to do and i'm going to make it happen Um, I, I think due to like how I was raised by my parents, especially my dad, because he's a former uh, <clears throat> Marine mm -hmm. and he has a very like no nonsense attitude about things. So uh, he always taught me like, just get it done. Uh, don't make any excuses. Like, yeah, things happen, but make the best out of it. You know, he always like had that mentality about things. So I was used to not making excuses like growing up, like that was just, it's just a part of my DNA. Um, if, if I failed at something, I knew that I was mostly the reason behind that. And if something was outside of my control, not to like stress about that, um, but to better prepare for it next time. So yeah, I, I would say I, I, I've always had like, uh, very no nonsense attitude and I, I didn't have a victim mentality when it came to my failures or the things that um, happened to me in or outside of academia and then that's definitely helped me and in, in my um, in my way up because if I had a different type of mentality I don't think I would have got as far as I, I've, I've got you know I definitely wouldn't have um yeah, I, I would I would probably be one of those hammers that are, are always looking for nails to hit, you know, yeah. and then that that wouldn't have been good. That or even worse, like dead or in jail because mm -hmm. of you know the, the environment I grew up around. And that's another thing that a lot of people in the university system, especially here, don't understand because they come from a lot the much better background, yeah, um, than I do. So, yeah, would you say like? Is it as, again, you know, it could be a lot more of a confirmation bias for myself that I'm seeing it because I see it. But would you say that it is a a prominent issue in this point in time? Like I, I see it and a lot of our content is about addressing it. I, I just like yourself, you know, I, I put out a lot of stoic-based like philosophy and psychology and understanding like how to take ownership, accountability, things that you can control. And I get pushed back from people time to time, but I think a lot of my audience is starting to resonate more with or understand me as a coach. So it's like, it's easy for me to put that out there without being as challenged. But do you find that potentially on your, your campuses over there, like 
it's still a prominent issue that people are thinking that way. Like, you know, this is what's holding me back and it was because of this. So therefore I don't have to try as hard or, you know, woe is me, life sucks. Therefore I don't have to do anything. I should just get it. Is that as prominent as what it looks like online? Yes. And I, I think especially on a college campus, it's, it's definitely like that because these people are coming from very affluent backgrounds and the most that they had to go through was their parents saying no to them going to some party or uh, maybe some drama at their high school or something, you know, they're not used to like going through like actual things, you know, be it life and death situations or, or really, uh, really bad things. But yeah, I, I see it. I see it being a problem mainly on college campuses um, and obviously in, in politics and um, I mean, even in sports, you know, there, there are a lot of athletes that, that come with that mentality mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to their personal well-being and their personal training. And, and you will see how it trickles down into different aspects of their life. And it's, it's really sad because you know that if, if they were to take on a different mindset, they would have much better results. When it, when it comes to things, because as you know, as an athlete, um, and then, you know, I, I was in, bo- I mean, I was in basketball uh, throughout high school, but my adult years, um, I was actually an amateur boxer and I was going to go pro, but I decided to go to college instead of go pro. And, um, you know, it's all about mindset. Mm-hmm. If, if you, if you don't have strong mindset and, you know, you're not stoic in the way that you think, you're not going to last that long, you know, and you're, you're not going to reach that the high levels that you want to reach. Cause I don't think any athlete gets in there saying, I want to be last. I want to yeah, always yeah. lose. You know, I, I don't want to be great. Like, no, yeah. you want to be great. You want to be mentioned with the greats. And, and that starts with, uh, you know, that mindset that the very strong mindset that you often preach on your page. And, and that's why I, I love, and I follow your stuff because it's, it, it's, it's about, you know, it starts with the mind. Yeah. And like, it gets to a point where well, I find at a certain point where you just have to accept the, the cards that have been dealt, played or given. Like, you know, I went through a very, uh, like an example of myself, went through a very depressive state in my early twenties, had a car accident, technical diagnosed with like chronic spinal damage. Um, you know, this part of my spine would ever work again, blah, blah, blah. And I was resentful and bitter and spiteful and all sort of jazz because my, my footy career was over. Now you can stay in that position in my, the way I view it, you can stay in that position. I have every right. Like when someone tells me I haven't been through anything because I'm, you know, X, Y, Z, white male, whatever, like in those debates, I was technically suicidal, anxious, depressed, and now technically disabled. Like if I were to go through the literature of the, the legalities of my medical diagnosis, it doesn't serve me as an athlete, as a student, as a person, as a child of my parents to be someone who sits there and plays the, I was hit by a car 10 years ago, like story, like 10 years has passed in that time. If I'm still sitting there playing that same violin chord, what does that get me? What do I do with that? Like how do, how have I gotten better or past that situation? Like the guy who hit me, he's already on with his life. He paid his insurance, got a new car on his way. He's good to go. He's, he was an older lad. So, you know, he's probably into retirement now, chilling out. He doesn't care. Nothing's happened to him. He's fine. He just paid some extra premiums on his insurance why do I then carry myself in a way where, you know, I've now got 10 years of chip on my shoulder because something happened and I just did chose to not move on from it. 
you know, at a certain point, you just have to get to that level of thinking where X happened. What do I do next? And like, yeah. And, that, and, and what was that turning point for you? Like, cause I'm sure like you said, you had, were depressed and you went through all of those emotions, but what was the turning point for you where you realized like, I can't stay here or, or, or was that always a thing with you? Like growing up, like you, you never were a type of person to stay there or something like, was it a book? Was it someone uh, like a mentor? Like, like what was it that brought you out of that? I think it was very similar to yourself in my background. Like, it was it wasn't like by any means like you know there was no like uh i could get shot going to a party or i could get like you know the robins and stuff was more frequent in our childhood but it was more so like um you know i was in playing rugby league at five years old dad was always a high like high level what we call afl over here which is like that the one you see that's like us just kicking the ball back and forward so that's like he would play at a pretty high level of that and just had us in sport and drilling us at a pretty young age and then from that i was like you know they weren't the wealthiest parents and you know my dad was sick for like 10 years so it was quite like lower income so i had a job at 13 because i was like i had to work to get you know if i want a new pair of boots for 40 if i want a new books or something like that like i would work so that i could earn it and i would earn my stuff and if i didn't earn it or i didn't work for it i didn't get it and so i think at a certain point like you know i went through that that depressive state and it just clicked in my head like i can stay here and nothing changes because they i got out of the treatments and the doctor was like look nothing's gonna work what you have is basically what you have. We've got it to a certain point. We now label this as technically chronic. It's up to you what you do with that. It then just hit me in the head. Like I can be in pain year round for the rest of my life and do nothing. Or I can be in the same amount of pain and try and make it better and just still do the things I love, which was training, dieting, you know, improving my physique, making things stronger or making things look better. And well, I can do that. So I think it was just always a matter of, of you know, I went through that, that slope of that lull but it just became like that competitive instinct with me was like, you know, coming up through a childhood of sport was just, well, what's the next marker? What's the next like checkpoint? What's the next thing? Like, how do I just get out of this little bit and just eventually just go further and further. And at a certain point that just cascades and just spirals or snowballs and just gets bigger and bigger. So okay, what can I do next? What can I do next? They told me I couldn't do this. They told me I couldn't do this. I'm going to go do it. And I think that just sort of became how it took over. Oh, wow. Wow. That's amazing. But I think like yeah, it, it's a... it's not though to me like to me that's just kind of like I don't know you might you know I might get kickback from this conversation from people but at the same time it's not like a, we don't have stories to share about it is that you know that's why I like having these conversations and discussions because everyone has a background of a problem like everyone has there is something at someone someone's level of success that we can dive into and say yeah but this happened or this happened in my childhood or you know I was beat up by this guy or abused by this person or you know ex car accident. Yep, everyone at some point has that level of of history. And the ones that I find succeed, they succeed in spite of that. They don't stop themselves because of that. Whereas I find a lot of people get stuck in that victim mentality is like, well, this happened. I've got to, you know, the life life owes me something. I need to get compensated somehow to the sense that now life's easier. Why? Yeah. How is that? Like, why are you entitled to that? You remind me of this video of, um, uh, you've probably seen a video, but this guy i don't know his name he was he was talking about like heroes and villains and the fact that they're pretty much the same people but what what differentiates them is oh uh, yeah i've seen that yeah yeah you've seen that one yeah, yeah yeah where he basically says like what differentiates them is like how they react to their pain and you know you could choose to want to make the world burn and stuff behind your pain or you could choose 
choose to make sure it doesn't happen to other people or not nearly as many other people. And you can do something productive with that pain. And, you know, obviously you chose to do some productive and, um, you know, I come from an area where there are a lot of people who choose to, you know, take the villain route mm-hmm. and they burn out quite quick, quickly. And, you know, over here in America, like there's a, a gun violence problem. So, you know, I've lost plenty of friends to gun violence. I've I've seen it. I've been in situations where I could have been a victim of that, you know. Um, so it's seeing that and, and knowing that life could go left in that way really quickly mm-hmm. um it, it it makes you want to do something productive not only for yourself but for those people in the future who might put themselves in, in those similar situations and that, that's why i think what you're doing is great because you know there will be people who go through similar things as you and think that you know life is over since they wanted to be an athlete but you know the, there's more to to life than just that one thing we are capable of doing so so many things and um i'm i'm glad that you found out for yourself you know because some people just never find that other thing for them but i think it's, it's also like a you know to kind of tie it back to you is that it's an important perspective and i guess like an understanding or comprehension to have is that looking at your environment, and I think this is something because you know, we've, we've written on environmental psychology before because I found that one of the first things that intrigued me was how much your environment dictates your direction or how much your environment dictates your perspectives, your beliefs. For you, like in those environments, was it a matter of like you, you saw it and were like, I don't want that or it was more of like, a, I saw that, I've got to get away from it or was it almost enticing, you wanted to stay there because that that decision at you know given your your background all that sort of jazz that's going to play a role on the person you become you know you can see it in the data like you said you can see it in the history you can see it in the culture you can see it it's 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 there so it's very easy for you to go well i'm already here life sucks why not stay here like that's what all my mates are doing but you've gone well i need to go this way because i don't want to end up like them and that in a very similar sense is a reflection of au but how did that come about because you have to be at a certain point be able to recognize, I can see what's happening. I don't want it. I need to do whatever, like the next thing or get away from this to literally swap, which I know I know somewhat to a degree in America to be able to move entire parts of the country is a big deal. Like you move away from everything you know in on the West Coast and you now like East Coast America and you're like, yep, I'm here now. Like that starts, that's a big shift. Yeah, it's totally different. It's a totally different world. Like the things I heard about like Georgia, for instance, before I came was, oh, there's tons of like KKK members and it's racist and this and that, you know, being in California, because California is very liberal, very left wing and often very far left uh, sometimes. And so, yeah, I was hearing like the worst things about it, but I was never scared of any of that stuff. And honestly, I like to put myself in like uncomfortable situations so I could see how I react. And I just like testing that. And I like new scenery and mm-hmm. learning about different cultures. Like when, whenever I go to a new place, I don't like going to like touristy areas. Like I like going to, you know, the actual town and, and, seeing things that the regular townspeople get to see and and experiencing like those things versus um uh just the touristy stuff but yeah um so you asked me like was i like tempted 
by like that lifestyle or was i like you know i must stay away yeah it was, and it was i would say like shift there yeah yeah um it was all of that it, it was honestly yeah. it was all of that um i'm not familiar i mean i'm not i don't know how much you're into like uh american movies especially like the the gangster movies or like the mob a lot. movies or <laughs> a lot, like yeah. That. Yeah. Oh, okay okay well yeah anyone who's like interested in it you see in those movies like the, the villains in those movies who are doing like all these violence they're not just like some like these like crazed people with like no friends and and all this other stuff. some of them are very charming some of them yeah. are very like cool people some of them look out for people mm -hmm. that are not a part of that lifestyle that that was like my thing like i was surrounded by people they were doing like bad things but they're they weren't always like this bad person or they they yeah. weren't like just doing bad things like randomly you know like they would look out for you that they, they're the type of people to give you money or stuff or to make sure you get home safely and, and all this this other stuff um it's 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 a very complex problem i would say but but one thing that prevented me from getting into that lifestyle was my parents and i understand not everyone has uh two-parent households but mm -hmm. at one point i did um all the way up until i was like nine years old and my parents divorced so from nine years old to you know my adult years like or until uh, i moved out of my mom's house i was in a one-parent household mm -hmm. um and you know there are a lot of people that i went to school with that that were that was too but a lot of their parents were on to them and, and didn't focus on like their mentality and and how to handle certain situations my, my parents prepared me for these situations by telling me the long game like mm -hmm. if you get into this this will happen then this will happen and then this will happen and then there's these other possibilities and you can get lucky but this is what happens to most people we used to watch movies like they didn't they weren't the type to be like oh no you're too young to watch the, this yeah. movie about killing that they, they will show it to me but they'll also tell me like this is what happens when you get into this lifestyle yep. so i knew about the, the the lifestyles of people in gangs for instance i knew about the lifestyles of drug dealers uh, and, and although they make fast money that that money um is is usually used on lawyers and then you know they either can get killed or sent mm -hmm. to jail because what they're selling isn't um legal so i knew about that very early on and that prepared me for when you know i could have hopped into that lifestyle uh but i, I knew that the long game to that it just wasn't worth it and um you know all those 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 types of people still were my friends or my acquaintances. Um, I, I never like fully immersed myself into that world because I knew better um, due to my parents. <clears throat> so I think a, a big part of it is, you know, having, it doesn't have to be a parent, but just some type of a mentor to focus on your mindset and then to show you the long game. And then most young people especially over here they just don't have that yeah they really don't it's and especially where i'm from they they really don't have that they they have like older brothers and cousins that encourage them to do the the bad stuff because you know you, you just imagine being in high school or like uh between ages of 13 and 17 and you have the ability to make like ten thousand dollars in a week 
You know, yeah. you, you'll feel rich doing that. And that's why people get into drug dealing or imagine like you're getting bullied and, you know, you, you, you get beat up real bad or something. And, and this happens like over and over and you have friends that are a part of a gang that could provide protection for you. You, you're, you're going to feel the need to, you know, have that to some degree. And that's why people get into those lifestyles a lot of times. And especially in California, like, like uh, Southern California, the gang culture is even worse because you have neighborhoods where you're born into it. You're, mm-hmm. you're born into a neighborhood that's literally a crip neighborhood or a blood neighborhood where you can't wear certain things. I mean, even in Northern California, they would tell you not to wear certain, like I couldn't wear this shirt in, in North California at my school. They'll say you, you had to wear, you know, other colors like black or you could wear yellow or something like that but you couldn't wear a solid red shirt can wear a solid blue shirts even though gang culture wasn't as big in, in northern california um but like that's a real thing and um you know those temptations are there but uh, i'm very grateful for my parents for putting um that foundation in me to be able to resist those things yeah that's an awesome uh i guess like ability to have i guess but like you said a lot of people don't have that it's actually a very mm-hmm. interesting like kind of tie back to as we're talking about social psychology we we use this um and we talk about it uh, pretty extensively in the sense of looking at, like world war ii there's this really weird push when people look at like a group mentality and conformity in that regard Everyone always has this high and mighty, high moral perspective that like, you know, I never would have been a, a you know, I'm not even sure if YouTube is going to censor this type of wording, but, you know, I, I never would have been a bad German, if you will, uh, in, in World War II. That's, you know, those guys are monsters and, and blah, blah, blah. Yet we see in the research and quite clearly, and it's still prevalent in even things like gang culture, in group mentalities, in peer pressure, you know, the, the likelihood of you being said German in 1944 or 1941 if you were born in 1920 is almost the statistical probability it's actually the maximal it is beyond probability that you become that same way because that was what was normal and looked at and secure and safe if you didn't do it you're much more ostracized you were you know kicked out of town or you were literally abused you were treated as like a um an alien a gypsy like they would have just ostracized you and you're off to camp and it's it blows my mind when people get there their perspectives on things like, you know, X bad guy is bad guy because of exact this, or, you know, I'm the good guy because exactly this. The reality is you're the good guy in your scenario because you were born here. And that's all you've had to contend with. You haven't had, you know, I saw a really good uh, a quote that was, um, you know, you don't know, this is by Dr. Peterson. It was like, you don't know, you don't know that you're a good person if you've only been exposed to good situations. If you haven't been challenged, if you haven't been, philosophically psychologically tempted or potentially put into a place where you could those parts of you could be shown and the shadow that you have as Jung puts it could come out you don't get to tell me that you're a good person because you haven't actually been exposed to it i would argue someone who's been you know potentially shown their teeth and chosen not to bite is a much better person than someone who's never been in an environment where you need to show teeth and it's like that clear example like that's it's you've had that potential to be that background. Like you have no business being at university. If we're to go down that route of like mapping out that, that life trajectory and, and kind of what took you away from it and where you ended up, you have no business being on here talking to me about physics 
when 99.9% of your friendship groups were probably doing X, Y, Z activities, group activities, sucking into that same group mentality. These guys will keep me safe, make me a fast buck and make sure I get home. Oh, I need to do sneakers because these guys took mine. They're probably all there provide and all that. But by the time you're 17, also, by the way, he's a gun. You're now part of it and you got to do the same thing. To be able to look at that and go, well, yeah, you know, I can see that's the route that I'm heading. I don't want to do that. I'm going to go over here instead. That's like a something that I don't think a lot of people really, uh, they don't possess it. Like people just don't possess that ability to think. Like you're clearly showing critical thinking ability at a young age to be able to make that decision and that distinction is like, I don't want that. And I'm going to go over here instead and focus back on my studies and kind of get myself back in that position away from this bullshit because I want to make 35, 40 years old versus 17. Yeah, yeah. And then there are tons of people that are really young that know that they're going to burn out um, very young and burn out. What I mean by that was like, like die or go to jail. And it's just really sad. And, and, and that's why I focus on critical thinking so much in my social media stuff and and when I mentor and I I volunteer for the youth and stuff it, it's it's because like that's the foundation of how people could make better decisions for themselves because mm-hmm. like you said uh, about the good German thing the, the same applies here when it comes to like American slavery like everyone thinks that they would have been against American slavery yeah and yeah. that they were they were would be abolitionists like everyone thinks that but like there were some real consequences if you were uh against that and if you were abolitionists especially like you help slaves escape you you know the, the type of trouble you would get in if, if mm-hmm. you got caught like you you had to be a special type of person to really um like engage in that and and that's how i see a lot of the uh culture wars stuff i i see there are people in academia that just never been through anything um that they assume automatically that they they are the side of the angels yeah. and and all of their opposition is is like the worst of the worst and no matter where in history they would have been placed at they they would have always been on the side of the angels and that's just not true for most of us yeah, I, I think a lot of people struggle to comprehend with the fact that they have what um, what uh, um, analytical psychology refers to as their own shadow. Like you, you, mm-hmm. you possess yeah. a part of you that is not socially correct. It's not politically woke. It's not. Uh, it's not a safe uh, persona or ego to have, but it's an archetype that everyone possesses. And the funny part is, the the people that truly comprehend it most and what they see in the in the, I guess you would call it analytical literature is the ones who are willing to accept it and embrace it end up being the ones that do better because it's not like you're trying to play two different lives, two different games. You're like, I could accept that the likelihood of me being that person in Germany is pretty high. I would probably would have been the likelihood if I was born in the deep States at, you know, in the 1800s, I'm probably for slavery or at the bare minimum. I just think it's normality. That doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It just means that the likelihood of where I was at that time, that was who I was. Same time now, there's there's plenty of things I'm probably wrong on now that you know will potentially looked at in a social acceptability uh, like spectrum. I'm probably wrong on based on what people are deciding is or isn't okay. That the ability to recognize that and say like I have that propensity and that ability also then means I'm able to critically think and say, but I don't want to do it. I'm aware of it and I'm choosing to use it for good or choosing to use it or harness it as a tool versus let it take control of me and repress my emotions and I'm trying to like you know 
project these things outwardly because I've repressed them and now they're trying to rise to the surface and come out in other ways. The the, the people who I think are on that that woke totem pole that really try to project that that notion of morality and high righteousness, I don't think they even possess that ability to recognize that you could actually be the bad person. Like you have that like that potential and you're just not capable of recognizing it, which is ironic to me because they're the ones that will push the most opinions. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting concept when you dive into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. And, and I'm, you know, I, I see it from all the political sides, but it's definitely something I see from the social justice extremism side a, a lot more, uh, especially in terms of the trendy issues of our day and i i just wish people reflected more and and kind of humbled themselves and realize that like you know you're more than likely wrong on most things and you know it's good to have these uncomfortable conversations in order to find out like you know what's the most accurate approximation about this thing or you know what's what's what are some uh, trade-offs that, that we can um, engage in because you know like like Thomas Sowell says that there's no uh, solutions there's only trade-offs and that idea that there are trade-offs that bothers a lot of people in a very similar way that you know uh, randomness and probability bothers a lot of people um Nassim Taleb, uh, Taleb, I think his name is, uh, he, he talks about that in um, one of his books. Uh, but yeah, I, I find I find just the, the, the ability of people like having an issue with um, things that aren't like certain, you know, mm-hmm. I, I find that interesting. And it, it, it all, it all um, influences the culture wars in many ways. Yeah, it it's... Uh... Which is, which is probably int- most interesting, right? Because that, in a sense, we're on campus. That's where the critical thinking is supposed to occur, like we sort of talked about previously. In these subjects, they're supposed to be able to recognize, especially if you're doing, like, whether it's an arts degree or whether you're doing a science degree, the whole point we're supposed to look at is nothing, nothing is, like, if we look at any form of science, nothing is ever a fact. It is, in fact, just that it hasn't been disproved or that there is the, the evidence is leading towards this is a likely occurrence. Like, when we look at psychological literature or any like form of that nutritional science, sports science. It's not so much, we look at any null hypothesis. It's not that this thing is proven a guaranteed fact. It is that this is what the evidence has disproved. Therefore, leading this is the potential cause or effect. This is not, uh, you know, you can't walk away and say, this is 100% accurate. But the ones on campus are the ones most saying things like, you know, X, Y, Z spectrum. And this letter is this, like, this is how identity works. It is 100% fact. And this is different from this by absolute. Like, you just can't think that way. But the second you bring that up, it's like the the comprehension of that just forces them into over mode, overdrive. And they're just like, you know, you're this bigot or this problem or this. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is just, this is just how the science actually works. You can tell you haven't dived, like dived into the science because if you understood research and analytics, you would know that that's just not how it, it actually works. There is no absolutes. There is more probability and likelihoods and correlations but there's no absolute. Yeah, and then most people have an issue with uh, that very thing, you know, like they're the whole right left thing gets on my nerves, and and I get you know flack from both the right and the left is because I, I point out certain things that 
both the right and the left are, are they're so extreme they think either it's supposed to be all this way or all yeah. that way and, and and everything is supposed to be certain and and that's that's it you know there's no discussion about it it would be everything would be solved if everyone just got on board and believed this one thing one yeah. size all yeah. solution and it's not that way like for instance like with with um I mean, we could go just real quick to gun crime. Like th that's a very complex issue. And of course, mm -hmm. you know, taking all guns away would reduce gun crime, but you can't necessarily in, in a, in a culture where there are like so many guns in, in circulation, I think you can't just now take like away people's guns. For you guys. You said as what? I think at the moment it's, it's currently like sitting around 120 per hundred people. Like something like that. I mean, even ridiculous. in the uh, yeah, even in a county that I used to live in, um, it was actually illegal if you if you were a homeowner and you didn't own a gun. Oh wow! So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I um, so so that problem is very complex. It's not as a simple problem as like, oh, you know, there's no problem and just leave it alone or take away our guns. Like like, you know, obviously people having access to it is, is an issue, but it, we just have to talk more deeply about those issues. You can't just, just throw this one size fits all solution because it's just yeah. not going to work that way. You know, it's, it's a multivariable like problem, you know? And so that, that's why I, I just think too many times on the internet, people, they make they oversimplify that that's mm -hmm. the problem they they just oversimplify everything mm -hmm. and it's it's the easier thing to do you know it's, it's easier to oversimplify say this person is evil versus yes. this person is wrong about these few things mm -hmm. um it's it's easier to say that um you know all the elites are evil and they they want to lower the population so that you know th these certain people could get more money uh, you know th there are all these different speculations and um theories that are out there but um i i wish people understood better you know the the critical thinking process but then also that it's okay to have approximate knowledge of something because that, mm -hmm. that's how the world works we, we live in a very probabilistic universe like we, we literally live in a, a quantum universe where nothing is deterministic mm -hmm. um so yeah and, and the physics has helped me with that understanding too by the way like physics has allowed me to look at just regular life like social sciences even in a very probabilistic way whereas if i didn't have any physics knowledge maybe i would be more um uh either or in my thinking i think i think there's something to be said for the majority mm. of the sciences if taken with the right lens that it can it should correlate to the rest of life right like the the foundational premise is the scientific method and critical thinking and we're not looking at like if you look at it properly through any lens like regardless whether you're doing engineering physics quantum physics uh, like you're you know getting into mathematics psychology sports nutrition sports science the the premise of the underlying principle is the same sort of thing where we're not establishing absolute fact we're looking at what is probable what's likely what is occurring here at some degree what's responsible for it and then 
how do we critically apply this? And I think this is something that that in, in our realm of study, in the sense of training nutrition psychology, is people that don't know how to read literature, they'll grasp something they've read and that's their identity. That is the fucking everything. Like part of camp, low training intensity, part of camp, low carbs, part of camp, like insulin carbohydrate model instead of understanding first principles and how they work. And they just latch onto them because they don't actually know how to read the a the literature but then critically apply what they've read or critically apply to their clients um which is something that i've really struggled with in debate and discussion is you see people that like we talked about at the very start that appeal to authority of having a degree or higher education like oh this researcher but he said you know train intensity at this level is too much you don't need to do that and you just like if you can't critically think you oh well i could i could do this easier or i could find an easy way to do this or i can apply this this must be me Instead of obviously, you know, looking through the, the the research design methods, looking at the population, is it generalizable to you? You know, what was the actual significance of the result? What was the size of the population? Does this apply to me? Can I use it? Most of the time, the answer is no, because most research on bodybuilders does not really exist. Or most research on like that level of athlete doesn't really exist. But we get these people who can't read that. And then all of a sudden their entire identity is, yeah, but he said low carb works. Or yeah, he said fucking, you know, Healthy at every size means that I can be obese and still healthier. I can be there. And it just becomes them as a person. And they fail to apply the critical thinking skills, which I think is why true science education becomes almost paramount. Like you get to a point where you can not only understand the science, but critically break down is this good science? Like, also, like one thing I preach is all science is not equal. And a lot of the time, like when I hear people discuss social sciences, we are so far down the totem pole in terms of like, the hard science and the truth of things that it just gets frustrating the way people like latch onto it. And it just ends up frustrating the shit out of me. Cause we're not, you know, if you're, if you're able to generalize and uh, assume application of everything you read in social sciences without critically breaking it down, I think you're so far off. You are so far off what actual science is, but you know, we, people don't understand that. They just go, Oh, but I read this abstract and it says this. I think that's where a lot of people get stuck or, you know, at least in trouble where, like you said, doing something like physics has really been able to change the way you perceive populations and different people and, and different sciences and how it applies, which I just think a lot more people need access to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right there. And, you know, it's crazy because if I were to say what you said about like the, the levels in terms of, um, like of science and and to me like the levels aren't necessarily about importance because again like and i'm being serious i think the social sciences are super duper important. i think it's one of the most important fields you know yeah. uh, especially when it comes to like politics or policy and stuff i think that that's definitely more important than physics i would mm-hmm. much rather people know you know social sciences and the humanities stuff mm-hmm. even and philosophy more than physics uh when it comes to that when it comes to everyday things i, I think it's so so important but it, it's very qualitative in in, in a way and because it's that, so that was more so my point like in terms of the, the mm-hmm. totem pole it's more so the 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 quality of the science or the i guess the, the the validity of the science i find is quite like when i look at you know when i look at say i was having this conversation with someone the other day um yeah, we look at like say uh military sciences if, if they're running like game theory or they're running through like a case scenario where like we want to see what happens if these countries collaborated and invaded America, 
they might run a million scenarios through every potential outcome and, and, and concept of strength and weakness that they could figure out and go, okay, what's the likelihood that they win or this happens? Now, how do we defend against that? That sample size of a million cases, uh, you know, you might run the same thing through some sort of like a uh, quantum physics assessment. You have the capacity to generate computer scenario or computer theory and run algorithms and it can run it, you know, we're going to go home for the night and come back and just run a million different scenarios. And we have this understanding a bit clearer that it's like the probability goes up for us. The, the population sample can be as small as 12. I think, I think to find power in sports science, it's like 12 people. So for us, it's like that, that, that separation of quality and generalizability is so different to, you know, running mathematical theories and running like quantum physics theories and running, you know, going through like game theory and things like that. You start to get to this, like, it's such a weaker strength, if you will, if I can lack a better word, in terms of like the application of the science. But people like, because it confirms what they know or what they want to know, it's a hundred percent strength. It's a hundred percent valid. There's no criticisms of it. This is a hundred percent fact, which is where I kind of get that like totem pole analogy, if you will, that like when you actually look at the structure and strength of the science, it's so new and so weak compared to years of millennia of of chemistry and basic physics and uh, astronomy uh, astronomy yeah astronomy astrology fuck me well i'm, I'm that guy <laughs> no it's cool no i mean it, it, you know it's it started with astrology and astrology has, has been really good at like identifying things and it's it's very useful for that but then it you know eventually went to astronomy in the same way that um alchemy used to or chemistry used to be alchemy you know like like alchemists were basic chemists basically yeah, like yeah. they would mix things and then try to i just got the name wrong i hate when people say fucking astrology like, instead of astronomy but i was oh like, no, this is all <laughs> <good. laughs> plus, plus i'm used to it and my regular thing like, no, you know, I'm, like I'm not gonna ask you people. if you're a leo don't worry but yeah yeah all the time all the time <laughs> they're like oh yeah you're into it i was like uh i guess now i am I have to be, but, you know yeah <laughs> Yeah, I just think in that sense, like the 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 differences in in strength of science and research is so far. But I find, I guess, because I'm in that population, people are so strung up on this proves exactly what I want to hear. Though it was from twelve people that are, you know, the population study was sixty five to seventy five year old females who've never trained before. I'm a twenty five to thirty five year old male who's trained his entire life, but this must be me. And people just don't possess that critical application thinking where they're like, oh, I've read the data, but does it apply? And that's the part that I yeah. think lacks for a lot of people. Yeah, but do you think that it's a it's a thing that needs to be fixed from the inside? Because the, to me, I, I think there, because people assume that all of the current tenants are, are right and that, you know, the, they have like this... Um, great accuracy uh with their um speculations about things um like do you think it needs to be fixed on the inside like like there's ways to make it more uh quantitative and 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 more scientifically rigorous or do you think like there just needs to be maybe more humility about you know the results not always um going to be as like um, uh, I wouldn't say accurate, but like you know, strong. I would say like strong in terms of like how true it could it could be. Mm -hmm. Like, like, what what do you think? Like, do you think that it can be fixed and made more quantitative and scientifically rigorous, or no? I I think it I think it definitely 
can become, because I, I guess it, that touches then on like the, the qualitative and quantitative of research, right? Like it can definitely get us to a point where having a foundational level of critical thinking, like take away some of the more redundant classes like home economics in our curriculum growing up in school and replace that with something like critical thinking. But I think if we take away the the mundane and boredom of it, like if you apply, like one of the other ways, and I was going to ask you this very same question is I'm a very subjective learner. I have to apply what I'm learning to a way that I've studied it or I've applied it. A lot of it comes back to sport, bodybuilding, um, rugby league, something that I've done, or even if it's comics, if it's uh, comic books in, in a way that I can relate it to that. Um, you know, some of the ways that I retain information around sciences is looking at like, how is this applied in a, in a Marvel book or something like, how did this sort of like tie in and what made sense of that theory? In, in that sense, I find that if you can make it relatable in a way where your students can understand that this is what critical thinking means, not here's a textbook perspective from 1969 and Carol Dweck said this about growth mindset. And that, like, we just don't care as kids. Like you might get the one student who's a bit more uh, highly conscientious, high strung type A type that will like, yep, give me all those numbers and data. The likelihood of getting 13 to 17 something young men to sit there and listen to that versus Hey, like, you know, so Tom Brady did X, Y, Z. And this is how, like, you know, when he's analyzing the play and looking at the field at a rapid pace, this is how he's breaking down. You're actually looking at physics, mathematics, game theory. You're looking at defensive assessment. You're looking at like motion. You're looking at velocity. All these things are happening at one present time. And he's sitting there and just like breaking that down and going, though he's not doing the mathematics, he's doing the mathematics. Now, this is how he assesses that. This is what we're looking at. Percentages of the field, percentages of the play. Where does he want to end up? Uh, delayed gratification future planning to the back end of the play. How do I get 40 yards downfield on the second throw? To be able to break that down in a way where I think students can comprehend it and go, oh, that's critical thinking, that's sick. Like next time I'm in that situation, I can look at that and go, well, how does that work? Because one, one of the biggest things I was taught uh, coming up with playing rugby league, I kind of played our version of quarterback was, you know, the good players look at the play ahead. The great players look three plays down the field. And you need to be able to get yourself to that position downfield to know that's where you want to end up to be able to play off the next play somewhere else. And that to me was like, that starts to build critical thinking. Well, like, well, how do I get this problem, which is I'm here and the defensive line is here. How do I get my team down there? And if you can put that in a way, I think where, where students have that ability to comprehend it more subjectively, suddenly they're not just realizing like it's all hundred percent or nothing or, you know, they said that mathematics states this exactly or that history states this exactly, or we should take this out of history class because it wasn't exactly what I believed. Or, you know, these people were racist back in the day. So pull down their statues. You actually get people being like, Oh, if I was there, I probably would have done X. And you, you probably get that critical sense and then you can quantify it and then you can qualify it. So it ends up kind of covering the best of both worlds by, I guess, making it more exciting than just here's a textbook literature. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, um, and there, there was something that I was going to mention. Um, yeah, it left me, but, but it was, there was something that, that you made me think about, um, in terms of, oh yeah, there we go. Boxing. Um, I, I had the same thing, what you said about great players thinking like ahead. Um, I remember when I first stepped into a boxing gym, and, you know, when you first step into there, you don't like box anyone. You just work on like yeah. fundamentals. You do that for like a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And then they put you like in a ring with someone. And and 
who's like one of the greatest like American boxers or whatever, uh, Mike Tyson. And mm -hmm. I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to do his style, you know, um, not knowing like I didn't look up the history of boxing. I didn't look up like the different styles and all this mm -hmm. other stuff. And to put it bluntly, like I, I got beat up in that fight, like, or I didn't get beat up. Like I didn't get knocked down or anything. I didn't get like bloody, but like I didn't, I definitely didn't win. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I got big lips. So like I left with like a busted <laughs> lip, you know, so it was bad. And I thought to myself, like, I'm, I never want to feel that way ever again. Mm -hmm. Cause that, that was the first time I got beat like in a fight like that. And I was like, you know, the fight in the street isn't like this, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you can't get mad in a boxing ring and, and things of that nature. And what I learned is like thinking ahead, thinking like steps ahead, you can become better through that. And, um, and and I try my best to apply that to like everywhere in life and in physics. And like you, I'm, I'm very similar. Like when I learn something new, I relate it to boxing or I relate it to physics or I relate it to just or music because I'm really into music. So something I, I really know and, and I grasp it better. And mm -hmm. when I'm talking to younger people about critical thinking, critical thinking skills, I usually try to relate it to whatever I hear or heard them talking about, whatever is popular at the time, just something that they could um, grasp yeah. a, a lot better versus like showing them the formulae for logical arguments or something, because that's not going to do anything yeah. for them. Um, you you have to do like what you did with Tom Brady or you have to do what you did with uh, some some other thing. And then that's how you get people to grasp these concepts but one thing about academia that made me really fall out of love with it was the fact that there are people who's been they've taught these things of, about critical thinking that they, they they were they went through multiple classes of philosophy mm -hmm. and yet they don't apply that outside of their discipline mm -hmm. like they could be great scientists or great intellectuals great in their uh their respective field but you take them out of that field start talking about anything it could be sports it could be politics or whatever they're all of a sudden they don't apply that anywhere yeah. else and that's that's the thing that really blew my mind learning about like other academics and it's not all of them of course but there's a great number of them that that do that especially when it comes to politics yeah 100 percent. i completely agree in that in that regard where um it, it was interesting actually because that kind of um leads to a point around Carol Dweck discussing growth growth and fixed mindsets. Like if we were to kind of talk about a way in which you can quantify fixing that perspective is looking at the research around growth and fixed mindsets. Um, and, you know, his extensive work that Dweck did through the late eighties, early nineties, she actually had to come back and reassess it and reestablish her, uh, her, her piece in some, one of her papers. She re-examined and sort of clarified because a lot of people were becoming like, there's this weird idea that you were either, and this is the ironic thing, you are either all growth mindset or you're all fixed mindset. You were, you know, I'm I'm a growth mindset because I'm a, a philosophy teacher. But then, like you said, you go home and you are completely fixed in your views about political theories and, you know, critical race theory and mathematics or the economy or gun, uh, gun laws. All of a sudden, that growth mindset that you had where you're open to conversation and potentially being wrong and looking at how you can get better, straight out the window. 
And so she she came back and, and sort of had to explain is that on this spectrum of growth to fixed mindset, it's actually across different domains of your life. You need to be able to reassess and look at, am I like, just because you're a growth mindset around bodybuilding and nutrition doesn't mean you don't have fixed perspectives about, you know, internal biases or like, you know, so certain beliefs or theories that you might hold true things about the economy or, you know, homelessness or a gun crisis. Like the likelihood that you have a complete growth mindset entirely across all life is a load of shit. There are going to be things that you are, are focusing on growing and there'll be things that you think they're just they're just right so you don't have to fix them the the true critical thinker is able to recognize that i need to grow across everything i need to be better at all things that i can do whatever that is and actually expand on all things i'm currently interested in and other things look at stuff i don't like that i'm not currently studying or trying to get better on and realize that you can be better and that's sort of like she reassessed that i think in like 2016 her first theories came out late 80s late 90s uh mid 90s and people are just getting so, you know, again, polarized by the camp of, no, I'm a growth mindset. Growth mindset leads to success. I must be that thing because I am I want to succeed. Not realizing that also anyone who didn't think like you was wrong and, you know, your way is the only way to think and, you know, these beliefs are your beliefs and therefore they're true, all fixed perspectives. But you had a growth mindset about one of your subjects at uni or like, you know, your field of study. And it's just, yeah, it just got me thinking that that she literally had to come back and reassess that entire philosophy and that that theory because people were polarizing the growth versus fixed mindset, which in and of itself is an ironic an irony, because you're supposed to, if you're a growth mindset, you would know that you're not entirely a growth mindset across everything. Yeah, yeah. I love when people come back and reassess, you know, their their opinions or their thoughts or their theories on things, especially mm -hmm. if they were some type of uh, innovator in their field or or paradigm shifter. Like Einstein had a moment like that. You know where he he was doing the math for um the uh the universe like when it comes to like how it's expanding and 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 you know the big bang and everything and in his math it showed that the universe was expanding and he was like no that doesn't make sense that it's expanding and accelerating like there must be something wrong here like the universe must be static it's, it's mm -hmm. not expanding so he fixed some things in his math to, to change that. But then Hubble um, made some observations and it showed that uh, the universe is expanding mm -hmm. and not only is it not expanding or not just expanding, it's uh, accelerating and it's accelerating faster and faster, which goes against our, you know, our intuition. So originally his original stuff, uh, his, his original results were right. And so he had to go back. You know, things and, and try to find out uh whether or not like this thing that they really sorry we just uh we just got a bit of a, a internet i guess it's the the one limitation of international conversation is mm -hmm. internet capabilities australia's a little backwards in that sense so it's probably us to be fair <laughs> um but yeah you're, you're expanding on on the, the idea of the fact that einstein had to go back and revisit his own work which again is a sign of critical thinking from a critical thinker 
Yeah, exactly. And then that's really important. I think everyone should um, go back to the drawing board on their beliefs, especially the tightly held beliefs that we have and, and really think about whether we should abandon it or um, keep it or revise it, you know? There's, there's something I want to, I want to uh, just touch on quickly. I thought we're going to ramble for like five straight hours is <laughs> um, looking at like your background, your, your philosophies and things We're we're very similar in a lot of aspects I've got a feeling I'll understand your opinion on it, and I think you'll have a pretty strong opinion on it. But the way the way we encourage um, environments and being all in on things, but also like understanding the type of client we work with, we look at I look at balance in a very different way to the way people in like a social sense refer to balance in Australia. And I hate I hate the the average lifestyle guru in Australia that they're pushing at the moment, or they they tend to push this idea that you know a true life and a fulfilled life has balance in all things and all things are even and equal and, you know, energy is equally distributed. And we know that's just not true. And fucking even in a universal sense, the idea that, that, that everything is in, in balance and you want to exceed that stuff just, it just doesn't land. Now I kind of guided coach it in a sense that I, I based off a, a client's level of goal, like the, the greater their intensity of goal, the greater I'll say like, look, you need to go in on this and we need to cut away some things here. We need to work on these behaviors, your environments, your friend circles, all that sort of stuff. You know, if someone wants to get on a bodybuilding stage, the likelihood is that we've got it. There is no such thing as balance. Balance to us is relative to the goal we wish to achieve. Looking at your route of study, mentoring people, critical thinking, your history and background, how do you perceive balance in a sense of like achieving something as significant as finishing an undergraduate in physics or you know, going on to do something like a PhD or expanding to your next realm of study after that, you wouldn't have, like, if we looked at balance, I think over here, one of the, one of the theories they push as balance is like, you know, social life, family, friends, relationships, health, exercise, sleep, work. Like there's so many of these lists to what goes into to, to balance. I look at that and I go, I maybe commit time to three of those things because that's what I can dictate and I can give. But to you in a sense, like how do you quantify balance? And then is it even something you can achieve? That's a really good question. I, I, I look at the overall goal and try to quantify it through that. Like, so, well, when it comes to school and, and when I started and I wasn't really good at math, I spent an, I don't know, almost incalculable amount of hours just trying to learn like the basic concepts, learning it to where I'm solving problems in my sleep. And most people would say like me having no social life and all that, like there was no balance there, but I had a goal and, and I wanted to meet that goal. And, and it required almost becoming like obsessed with learning this thing. And so you know, I, I guess, and of course there are ways that there are healthy ways you could do stuff and um, there are counterproductive ways you could do stuff and productive ways you could do stuff. But it, it's, when it comes to balance, it, to me, it just depends on a goal. Mm -hmm. And and I, I just have, I'm not going to say I have an obsessive personality, but when I really want to learn something, when I really want to mm -hmm. be great at something, I, I go all in and I'm like, I'm dedicated to it. You know, like for instance, if I were to come to you and be like, Hey, I'm going to do this boxing match and I want to gain 15 pounds and I want to, you know, 
gain in a healthy way, but, um, you know, still keep the dexterity, still keep my like athleticism. Uh, I don't necessarily want to work out as if like I'm doing bodybuilding. I want to work out as like I'm a fighter, you know, I I, like having that. I know you will be able to build a plan to where I, I meet certain goals and stuff and I'm focusing on that one thing. So like from the outside looking in, it, it doesn't look like balance, mm-hmm. but it, it really is balance. I guess you can say in terms of like where I want to go and get it. So I, I tend to agree with you or that it, there's not really a, a such thing as balance necessarily. It's just more so like, I guess, um, like what's more productive uh, and what's better for you to reach that certain mm-hmm. goal. And um, it, it was, it was hard, like trying to figure all that out. Cause you, like you mentioned with uh, like, if you were to get into college when you were 18 and, and try to like, you know, go through, like you didn't know how to study. You didn't know mm-hmm. like different things about yourself it's the same with me. Like I didn't know I had to learn these things like learning math. You try all of these different study techniques. You you try all the trendy ones. You try the not so trendy ones and you see what works best for you. Mm-hmm. So th- that's, that's how I figured things out. I was just figuring out what works best for me. And then sometimes that took a little bit of an obsession, but it worked. I think like it's cause like bodybuilders always look at the lens of extremity, but I think it's no different to any other succeeding goal or like extreme sport if you will or just extreme endeavor like you put something on the on the cards like a master's for instance like i want to go down the route of my master's once i finish my my undergraduate and go down that realm of psychology because that's where you get your doctorate recognition it's you you can't physically have what others might deem balance like you you can't have those underlying areas where you know you've also got to like uh, include this much time with friends each week and this much time with family each week and this much time with, you know, X, Y, Z, a part-time regular job or a full-time job or something like, you know, these things that, that people determine against, I guess, I guess under the bell curve of normality as balance become a hindrance. And it's like, it's something that I think a lot of people don't quite comprehend, which is why, you know, I wanted to ask you that same question was it doesn't just apply to bodybuilding where we actually like, the greater the intensity of the goal, the greater the sacrifice is required to achieve it. It's just almost like a, you could quantify that as a theory. Like that needs to be understood that, you know, it doesn't guarantee the goal, doesn't guarantee the result, but as that goal, uh, I guess, scales in extremity, so too does the level of sacrifice and lack of balance that you'll have. But at the same time, for most people I find that enjoy that, enjoy that life or enjoy the lifestyle of what they're doing, the extremity thinkers, Balance is really just balancing the things they're doing in order to achieve that goal. Like you sort of put it, I'm not trying to balance 10 different areas of my life. I'm trying to balance three, my training, my business, and my study, because those are the three things that get me to where I am. It's got the, the friends that I have, the relationships I have, but I, you know, I have relationships that understand that. They comprehend that I'm not available 24 seven, or I'm not going to come out drinking and partying. They'll engage when we can engage. And that's about it because those three things are the priority of my life at the moment. That's what I need to do. And I think a lot of people like, you know, they'll look at a big goal, go to university, get on stage, change their body composition, get in a boxing ring. And like, oh, but I've also got to see these friends and see these people and still maintain this social persona and still go out here. And I was like, man, you look at a Kobe, for instance, he literally every, every 
every conversation of Kobe around like group mentality, they would go out partying. He'd be at the gym when they're coming home. They'd go out and do X, Y, Z. He's at the gym training. He's coming back from training. He's going to another session of training. He's at the gym before the game earlier than everyone else where they're just waking up and getting ready to have their first meal. Like the, the ones who are extreme and the ones who are succeeding that such a degree, they don't have balance. They're not, there's no balance there for them. They're just looking at that and going, well, what do I need to balance in order to achieve this extreme goal? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've always studied people who are really great. And, and I, I've done that since um, elementary school. Cause I, since I was into basketball and I love Michael Jordan, I read yeah. books about him. I, I read uh, interviews uh, about him in the newspapers and all this other stuff. And one thing that I, I realized about all the greats is that they were like obsessed with what they're great at, mm-hmm. like just, just obsessed. And, and they put everything else on a back burner, but you know, the reason why we know their names, the reason why they've achieved so many great things is because of that obsession and that lack of balance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Obviously this guy back here, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my same level of thinking um I mean, uh, like another question to, to move on from there given your realm of thinking like your realm of study and passion is there anything at the moment that you're currently working on that's like that level of exciting you're you know you're like i can't wait to see this theory come out or this this research paper we're dropping is doing xyz like are you at that level of excitement with your work at the moment um most of that is outside of academia i mean i i think the most uh, i love research mm-hmm. and and i'm really excited like knowing the things that i know about physics i'm really excited to see where the field goes within the next 20 years i, I mm-hmm. think we're we're going to find out about a lot of the universe and um the applications to ai and mm-hmm. and all this other stuff is is just going to be really really interesting it, it's it's, it's it's really fascinating stuff and i'm really excited about that but i think now i'm mostly excited about like more entrepreneurial stuff uh more uh, artistic and creative stuff mm-hmm. um because uh i've you know i i'm working on two books at at the time um i stop and start that all the time uh, I, I got back into music because uh, I, I used to songwrite in high school and um, I started getting back into that. So I'm really, really excited about that. And um, yeah, I think I think those types of things are, are mainly what I'm interested in and, and how to improve uh, the youth's understanding of uh, critical thinking. Mm-hmm. That, that's another thing that I've been really excited about Um so that has taken a priority over uh, research or, you know, everything in academia. Um, and, and those are the things I've become obsessed about and, and, you know, doing my research for these books and, and taking notes and learning about how different people wrote books and, you know, learning that process mm-hmm. and uh, be, becoming an author, basically. So, yeah, the, I would say that's what I'm currently like obsessed about. Nice. That sounds like it's unique and different. Like the funny, the funny thing is like in the sense of helping people by writing a book, you're obsessing about how to best write the book, which is mm-hmm. like a level of not, not so much irony. It's just, it's just 
interesting. Like that, that that's the way people's mind can go is that I want to write the best possible book I can because I want to make the biggest impact I can with these people reading it. How do I do that? Well, how have other people read that book? How have other people written their books to do that same thing? So I'm going to go in and study them to then study how to write my book so then I can write a good book for other people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because like, you know, with academics or with intellectuals, one of the things that we all might fall or one of the traps that we might fall into is like flowery flowery language like you know just trying yeah. to sound smart yep. and and when you're writing a book just like when you're writing a song to me you're supposed to try to connect with a person because mm-hmm. like why write a book or something if you're just going to try to show off how smart you are you know it, it's just like uh like a rapper that raps like a whole bunch of words and rhymes a whole bunch of words versus a rapper that makes a really good song that you feel mm-hmm. and, and you want to play over and over again because you felt that song you felt those emotions or a singer you know you like you truly felt those emotions like uh, a singer could could do all these scales and sound beautiful and then whatever but like are they connecting with you yeah and then that's how writing a book that's how like a writing book is you have to find a way to communicate and and to connect with that reader so that that it sticks with them or or they go to want to do the research on uh, themselves and learn mm-hmm. more about that subject that you're talking about yeah that's very interesting you put it that way because that's literally one of the issues i found like one of the things that made me want to put out content of education was i was not academically inclined as a kid i couldn't have told you how to read a paper from start to finish and that to me was always a big barrier for me getting into education further and looking at things like expanding knowledge on psychology or, or like how to further understand the principles and theories of these elite people that are doing things. And so I, I got to a point where I was like, well, I found a way subjectively for me to break it down and understand it. But the, 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 the big goal for matter, if you will, is I want to take the average person with big goals and help them achieve that big goal. So that means I need to put myself in the position of that person. They're not me studying an academic science. They're them at home where they are doing what they are. So how do I take the language of academia, which I used to find frustrating and borderline insulting because it's written in a way where, and it's no offense to any academic because I'm literally studying myself. It's a circle jerk of like, I need to talk as articulately and intellectually as possible to the other professors reading it because they're the ones that are going to break it down. And that's all that really matters. The average person at home reading PubMed, who cares what they have to say? That's pretty much the way I first interpreted when I started looking at research was like, this isn't written for me to understand. It's written for another doctor or it's written for another academic to break it down and, you know, sort of highlight where I was wrong or, you know, what the theory said or what have you. And I was like, well, if that's me and I'm, I was the average person, that means that there's more average people and they're just like me. So to really show education and a level of education, I think, is being able to take that complex principle and convey it in a subjectively digestible manner where the person can understand it from their language or from their perspective. If I start throwing around 10 syllable words to try and sound super intellectual and all my audience is like, you're just becoming a dick, that doesn't help anyone. Yeah, yeah. And it's crazy we have that similarity too because that's what I saw in physics. Um, I got into science communication around, well, I was online anonymously doing science communication first i I got onto it because i would see people kind of like debunk things and it was it was fun for me to like debunk you know these these 
these myths and, and stuff. I mean, I know we have to go in there and, and we like when we hear something, we're not supposed to just go in with the idea of debunking something because something could be can be true or partially true. So we have to investigate. And then if we find out that it's a bad idea, then we debunk it. Um, but like that's how I started. I started like debunking like, you know, the uh flat earth stuff and then you know <laughs> moon landing stuff and then um you know just uh, i think stuff about gmos or something and just just different things uh, and I, I would do this and then eventually when i decided to like put my face to my profile i think it was around 2014 2015 mm -hmm. when i when i started uh, well i started yeah i, I would say 2014 2015 and um, I started doing memes and I started making my own memes mm -hmm. and that that tend to work. Like there were people who would come to me and be like, you made me look up this thing because it was in a meme and it, it seemed funny, but I wanted to know more about it because mm -hmm. I want to get it. And 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 but that wasn't a thing like I, I was told by certain scientists at the time, like. Uh, I don't know if that would connect with people. Or I don't think that would be appropriate. And you know, <laughs> you, you, you're using things and you're, it has cursing in it, for instance, or is using this this music or whatever. I don't think that that's effective and blah 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 blah. But now, if you look at tons of science pages, like they're doing memes. I'm not saying I started memes in in the science space at all, but I, I was definitely like when I started, that wasn't a regular thing that yeah. you know science pages would use memes and and all that so um yeah i mean just I, it, it's finding out how to communicate um physics in a way and critical thinking that and in a in a way the average person could um consume it that's what motivated me to start my pages as well so um, i'm with you on that yeah it's interesting like just the way that you can identify that problem because like it's one thing to be in a circle jerk of other high intellectuals that, you know, get off on outsmarting each other and, you know, who can use the most syllables and words in a, in a sentence that sound the most complex that mean the same fucking thing. If I can tell you that a calorie deficit and a calorie deficit is the same thing, it doesn't matter how you achieve it versus you trying to tell me about the, the Krebs cycle and metabolic pathways and, you know, the biochemical breakdown and how this converts into ATP via pyruvate, et cetera. I'm not a better coach because I can overcomplicate that or make that sound smarter, nor does 90% of my audience give a flying F if that's what comes up. But if I want someone to understand that, look, it doesn't matter what diet you take or do or use to lose weight. The main premise is the law of thermodynamics. And that is you understand calorie balance, energy in versus energy out. We need to understand that we can't destroy energy. We are It's either converting to a safe state or we're utilizing it as fuel. That's it. You get someone to understand that in a simple way and all of a sudden they're like, oh, maybe I should start tracking my calories. Well, what's a calorie? Well, what's a protein, carbon, fat? Now we're expanding their interest in the subject versus like, I just used a 10 paragraph structured outlay to try and discuss eating less food instead of just saying, yeah. hey, like, here's how you eat less food. Who do you think is going to communicate and, a little bit more efficiently with the general person? Yeah, and that's that's the most effective thing to do. I mean, it's all about knowing your audience because obviously if you were talking to maybe your uh peers within the field and and like you had to like really go in depth because they, sometimes you do have to go into depth about um the you know certain concepts you know like if i were to talk to relativity about i mean to, to talk relativity to a relativist um in physics 
it's it's different than I would talk to relative uh, about relativity to an audience, mm-hmm. the general audience, or just someone who just wants to know about it, you know. And there's a way to go about it, but for some strange reason, there are intellectuals and and scholars and stuff that talk. To, they they can't get out of that um, mode of of talking in, in an intellectual way or, or going in depth about certain mm-hmm. things they, they playing language to them is, is very hard and then I, I saw that very early and that's why i try to you know be different in that regard it's good because i think more people need to understand and appreciate the different forms of sciences mm-hmm. yeah. i guess feel like there one or two more questions i think that well, one of them would be a long we did so it might be a different a different chat otherwise we'll end up four hours deep about talking about marvel yeah. and the shitty direction where they're taking things but you know whatever <laughs> <laughs> is currently in your opinion and this is getting a bit more into your realm of just about quantum physics are we seeing anything currently change or challenge the theories of <clears throat> big bang and the expansion of the universe like i know we just sort of touched on there previously about the way that we're understanding now the expansion of the universe um if i understand it correctly it was where the expansion of the universe happening faster than the light can keep up with it. Is that correct? Is that, I, I, I remembered that somewhere, perhaps that that was something that was happening where the, the actual space itself was expanding faster than what light could perceive it. And so therefore we're only really catching up with light that is expanding at that rate. Um, but is there anything challenging the big bang, like that starting point, that, that sort of like original theory that this is where it's all come from. Yeah. There are different, um, there are competing theories, but they're they're not necessarily near the competition of of the Big Bang. The Big Bang is definitely the strongest um, that's out there. Like there's a many worlds interpretation of you know multiple universes, mm-hmm. and that we're just one of of many of those. But um, we have no way of detecting what's mm-hmm. outside of this universe, or if there is an outside to our universe um there's different like uh quantum uh theories but they're all based somewhat in the big bang theory like like a lot of the alternative theories they're the big bang still happened and and Mm -hmm. the expansion still happened but there are other things like that result from that like you know there there's the um thing the, the there's the big bounce for instance like or or the um yeah the big bounce like where the universe uh, expands and then it contracts it expands and then contracts like type of thing mm-hmm. um but those theories they don't have um nearly enough evidence for it yet i think the strongest maybe is by um a physicist uh who worked really closely with Hawking and he was um like you know his friend um Roger Penrose um yeah Dr. Roger Penrose he his uh his his theory of co- cosmology um is probably the strongest out of all the competing theories the many worlds interpretation doesn't have really it's pretty much a speculation honestly um but uh but yeah i would say that the big bang is definitely the strongest but there are probably like five other ones that you know are 
in the works, but they're honestly I, I don't hear them being talked about mm-hmm. and in regular conversations like a lot. Um, there there are some people that that's all they do research on, but yeah, it's it's nothing to get excited about. I would say. I I read I read uh one that blew my mind. It's not it wasn't that the Big Bang didn't happen. It was more so around um we look at time in a very linear fashion in the wrong almost like a wrong way, um in the sense that there's like a start point and an end point. And so we through we we view the universe through well the Big Bang happened it started therefore there was this, and there was a a theory of um what is it well for every action there's a positive and negative reaction I think was the premise that they were sort of discussing. And the point was around the fact that, well, this action has occurred and that is the Big Bang exploded outwards. Like it's gone this way. And that started from the original. Like it started, like, like that was the original foundation of the universe point and it's gone out that way. But if it went that way, it had to mean something had to have gone that way. And it was kind of like this, this premise of time and where the way it existed was that we're looking at time from the beginning from this view and that's the universe we're in. But the other side of the bang was that the universe had already existed or it was like it was made in a way almost like it was uh like at its end point we've sort of looked at ours through the starting point and then this whole theory came about as if this idea that we're looking at the big bang is just this side of the equation and there was a whole other side of the the negative i guess if you would was that time just it was it it started from its end point and i was like that even if that was falsely stated that idea to me blew my mind on like looking at what's potential in universal like physics and sciences that would just it blew my mind. I was like, that yeah, is- yeah, and and I think one of the biggest misconceptions about the Big Bang is many people think that it talks about um, well, one before there was anything at all, and then also uh, like what started it and the big bang theory basically it covers what happened after the bang that that's what it is it's like it's like if um there was like an explosion of of a house or something and you, you as a firefighter were going back and to find out like what caused that explosion mm-hmm. um the big bang is basically trying to find out what caused the explosion and seeing it from the like what happened after the explosion actually happened um and then the damage that's done mm-hmm. uh and but we, we don't know what what happened before and we don't even know if there was a beginning there there may not be a beginning like like you just stated um the, it doesn't say that there was a beginning um it's just more so that there was a a point in time to where this great expansion just happened and you know now the universe is accelerating that in the way that it is um so yeah like when you get into like stuff about time it, it does get trippy and it's, it's really mind-blowing but uh, yeah we, we don't know if there was a, a beginning we don't know if there was a start um we just know that this big bang did happen and the universe is it is because of that uh chain of reactions I actually had this interesting, I remember years ago, I was in like in my high school years, uh, teachers hated when I used TV shows to explain concepts or theories. Like they hated, like I would use like Simpsons, Futurama, Family Guy, et cetera. Like, cause they would always touch on it just enough where you could learn about it. And that has sparked my interest. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading about like um, uh, the Futurama and the way that they used uh, 
they use dark matter from that alien, the uh, uh, Leela's little toy, uh, little dog pet alien thing she had, and it would poop out dark matter, and they would use it in the dark matter engine of the Planet Express ship. But it was like they, the way they explained it was like uh, understanding time and space in, in such a way that that I then started to grasp. I was like, wait, wait, I'm looking at time and space as two different things. It's just relatively like it's the same in a way in different contexts. And they were sort of discussing um, one of the limitations was moving at the speed of light is impossible. But what we can do instead is bend the space, which then shortens the time. And I was like, that's how we create a wormhole. And it was like basically taking a piece of paper, cutting two circles on either end, fold that paper up. And now that circle has shortened the distance between two points. And I was like, holy fuck, that is like, why can't all scientists explain science in a way that is like, simpsons animation or future armor and just make it that easy i was like that just completely changed how i view reading about physics like that's to me i was yeah. like that's fucking awesome yeah and that's the beauty of like uh bringing like art and science together because mm -hmm. artists are like the great artists are great at making things understandable mm -hmm. especially the the artists in the fields of like film or you know tv shows like they're really good at like the simpsons for instance there, there's a lot of mathematicians that work um on the simpsons mm -hmm. tons of mathematicians like there's a, a whole book on it actually about like the little hidden math secrets uh, yeah. the thing and, stuff. and and at first i thought it was going to be one of those things where people are just like overthinking things but yeah. i didn't know but they actually hire mathematicians that just wanted to get into the tv business and you know to to help them write these um these scripts for for these shows and um that's 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 part of the reason why i i try to mix art and science together mm -hmm. and i try to study artists just as much as i study scientists it, it's a way to better connect with people since artists are usually um, better at connecting with people than intellectuals are <laughs> yeah yeah i definitely yeah. think they've got more of the social skill than i say we we you probably tend to have on that level um mate we're gonna ramble forever but i've taken up enough of your time um i appreciate you stopping on i appreciate you giving us your time and chatting and expanding because like it's like you know we both sort of established here is that critical thinking regardless of the the direction of your study or interest or ability needs to be comprehensive and understood and and sort of expanded further for a lot of people it 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 exceeds i think just the thing you're studying it's something that i find with bodybuilding like i post all the time as I, I say bodybuilding is often the vessel by which i coach high performance it's not that you have to be a bodybuilder but it's that amongst bodybuilding concepts the the skills required to do well in bodybuilding cross correlate to almost every realm of your life you know you learn delay mm -hmm. gratification goal setting uh effort levels intensity concentration you, you develop uh passionate work ethic routine regiment systemization and that all tends to flow to the rest of your life and where you go and a very similar premise here is that being able to apply critical thinking and environmental assessment and looking at yourself critically and saying, can I be better or be in a better position or get myself out of this shitty position? You know, the same thing applies. Like that, that will go beyond just what you're studying. You'll start to apply that in all aspects of your life. 100%. Uh, and I'm, I'm all for it. And, and that's why, um, you know, I love what you're doing and, and I try to, you know, meet with people who who are on that same um like thing of, of trying to push critical thinking because it's so so important critical thinking can save your life and and 
it could really make your life so, so much better. Uh, but, you know, it, the way that it's taught, uh, the way that it's applied even and, and misapplied in, in yeah. many cases, it's it's uh, it's sad. But luckily, there are people out there like you who are pushing it in a way and then putting it into things that they're passionate about. And that's why, you know, people flock to you and, and, flock, and that's why you have uh, clients and stuff. So. Yeah, I love what you're doing, and I hope you really keep doing what you're doing because it's it's special. Appreciate it, man. I appreciate that a lot. And yeah. uh, same to you, obviously. I look forward to engaging more with a lot of the work you're doing, and hopefully we can get some more American trips out of out of what we're doing that we can actually link up and get some training in and talk a bit of shit and probably have <laughs> another long-winded conversation. Definitely. Um, many, many. To uh to finish us off, where can we find you? Where can we where can we link up with you and send listeners to view more of your stuff that might be interested? I'm mainly on Instagram and Twitter, but I also have a Minds account. Uh, just type in Eric's Electrons and usually it'll pop up. Uh, I, I am going to start posting on YouTube a lot more. I want to start by first having, um, you know, just small videos that are five to 10 minutes long, but I'm going to start having people on like yourself and, and having interviews or conversations just about random things and um doing that but th that, that won't be until like months from now but yeah you can find me on uh instagram twitter minds and i think that and youtube um, i think that's pretty much it uh, oh I'm, i think i'm on uh tiktok too but I, I don't really post on there that much. <laughs> i tried that once it wasn't my thing i tried yeah yeah, yeah. Like, it's yeah. really it's really hard to like keep up with all that but um maybe i'll try but yeah just type in eric's electrons and i should pop up pretty much awesome my friend i appreciate your time